let's just, uh, I'm just going to, in fact, just jump straight into it. The title of my message today is uh, Reframing the Way We See Christ. And it's a series that uh, recently I've begun to put together that I feel is uh, not just for a church, but it's for the collective body of Christ. And uh, I say reframing the way we see Christ because allow me to insert this thought. We've inherited 1700 years or a lens that we look through. We've inherited over 1700 years of religion. (laughs) And some of that's good. Some of that's borderline okay. And some of it's terrible. And whether we are aware of it or not, that lens, that perspective, that preference, that bias, that mindset, I believe that right now God is wanting to adjust the lens so that we can see Christ in the fullness of who He really is. Everything else pales in comparison to our ability to see Him. Whether we're an apostle, prophet, or whether we're Paradox Church or Church A, B, C, D or part of whatever movement, it's insignificant or it can't come to a place of significance. It can't come to its place of growth. It can't be all that it's intended to be without us really, truly seeing Christ. And if a man by the name of Saul, who became Paul, separated himself for 14 years and for God to reveal, this is, this is Paul's language. Paul said, for 14 years, I was separated for God to reveal Christ in me not to me. And there's a vast difference. I'm going to say some statements that I'm not going to follow up and try and teach from, but I want you to think about, ponder on, watch this video and think about and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you. A lot of us are living by the revelation of religion that we've inherited about Christ to us, not in us. And there's a world of difference. Paul could have said, Christ has been revealed to me. It's like reading a book. I've got insight and information about Christ. But he said, he came to reveal Christ in me. And you've got to understand this guy in our religious terms wasn't a believer, but he had to learn what it was to believe. And then for 14 years, out of everything he could have shared, he could have talked about, he revealed to me the, the four governmental gifts of the Holy Spirit. He revealed to me X, Y, Z, K, Y. But he said, this revelation he revealed to me is Christ in me. What he's saying is he was already in me before I even was aware of it. I might drop some lines today that challenges our evangelistic salvation gospel, but I'm not doing it to be smart. I believe that part of my ministry is to agitate the status quo and cause us to maybe re-question and think things in a different light. I don't know everything, but I know part of my ministry is to headhunt, lop off mindsets, cause us to rethink things. Because if things are really excellent the way we're doing them, we would see different results. Amen? 
And I believe that right now, more than ever, I've been sitting on this for a couple of years, but right now I feel the release of this message and that is God is adjusting the lens that we've been looking through and He wants us to see Christ in a new lens. Amen? For that to happen, I wanna make this statement. He wants us to become unfamiliar with many things in the church we've become familiar with. And He wants us to become familiar with things that we aren't yet familiar with. Did you get that? Because for change and progress and maturity to really manifest in our lives, God has to cause us to move away from the things that we were once familiar with and move us in the new course to those things that are unfamiliar. We can, we can go from Genesis right the way through from the patriarchs to the early apostle, disciples and apostles. We can see the modus operandi of Christ. He broke status quo. He broke the familiarity that was around about the disciples and introduced them to the unfamiliar and said, I want you to get acquainted with the unfamiliar. And that's the way, or that is part of the pattern and the structure that God used through Jesus or God has used since day dot. We've got to become acquainted with things we are unfamiliar with. And as we start to learn and unlearn and start to become acquainted with some of these things that God is wanting to reveal, we're gonna find progress will start to kick in. Sometimes I wish and I wanted to be an evangelist or a pastor. Sometimes I wrestle with the text. I wrestle with what I'm seeing. I wrestle with the message that God wants me to deliver. Because I just wanna just... Lovely message, but it's just not part of who I am. Amen? What if right now in this current chapter of all the uncertainty, where is God in this global chaos? With all the uncertainty, what if God has set this up to cause us to be uncertain so that we'll start looking into the unknown to find the things that we normally wouldn't look for? What if this is a divine setup? What if in our Christian labels, the next, what we would say, the next move of God is not gonna be one that we've already labelled? <laughs> Maybe it's not gonna be revival, a label that we carry as Christians. Maybe it's not gonna be a reformation. Maybe it's not gonna be termed a move of God. What if... What God is doing in the earth right now doesn't have a label, but He's just leaving it blank. He's leaving the door, the window and the wall. He's moving it out the way and saying, go and find it, explore, investigate. And as we do that, I wanna encourage you, as we are set on that journey of pilgrimage, our lens is gonna start to adjust. The frame that we've inserted around who Christ is, is gonna become deeper, wider, higher than we can imagine. See, we've got to start asking questions. Is God into the same labels and the same frame that we as church for many years have just conditioned ourselves to believe He's in? Is this uncertainty, this global uncertainty, actually a gift, not sent by God, but a gift that God would give to us to create a whole new flow of understanding, of knowledge and of growth in the body of Christ. I believe more than ever, 
that God is wanting to knock us off our direction. He's wanting to change and reroute the GPS coordinates that we've been on. That doesn't mean we're throwing everything out. But I believe the example is Paul, when God wanted to introduce him to the unfamiliar, Paul was knocked off his course. That day that Paul put those GPS coordinates in on his horse, it was Damascus. But God rerouted him. He knocked him off the horse and he blinded him to what was once familiar. The mindset and the frame or the lens that he was looking through was reflected in his hate towards Gentiles, pagans and Christians, let alone Gentiles to call themselves Christians. And so he was not only persecuting them, he was a murderer. He was authorising this. Can you, come on, you hear me now. The God that he saw, the lens that he was looking through, God said, I want to knock you off your course, change your direction, and I want to blind you in all that uncertainty is going to come new sight. And out of that new sight, there's going to come a new understanding. And hence, we know that as a result of that, the guy was impacted so strongly that he separated himself for three years in Arabia and then furthermore went to Jerusalem and separated himself for 14 years to learn this thing called Christ, to learn who Christ was. There's a mighty shift that is taking place in the earth right now. And I know historically, there are two ways that great change comes. Number one, when we encounter great love. When we encounter great love, Let's example it by Jacob. He's on his journey, not knowing that God loves him, is invested in him and is with him all the time. He's illuminated to that reality. He encounters a God that loves him, has loved him all this time and it completely transformed him to the point where he wrestles with the one that revealed it to him. And he has this transformation from Jacob to Israel, yeah? And we can go through and we can look at Bible history and we can see that when great love, when we encounter great love, it transforms us. But the second thing is great suffering. Sometimes God allows suffering to come into the context of the church because He knows that we won't change without it. And He gives us a gentle loving nudge towards the direction of change that He wants to go in. And so I believe that those two dimensions are playing out in the earth right now. Great love for those that are ready to see, those that are ready to embrace Him. But there's also great suffering that's gonna escalate in the earth. But what the intention of God is, is to bring us to a place of transformation so that we will not stay where we've been, but we will grow and move to the new place that He's called us to. The text today that was just an hors d'oeuvre. But the text today is in John chapter 20, verse number 13 through 17. It's the story of Mary at the tomb. But before we jump into that, let me frame the, the context of the time so we understand the text. You've got to understand that Jesus was punished, was scourged, was betrayed. And in Jerusalem, we find that there was a hearing for Him, if I can say, with Pontius Pilate seeing that He was a just man. He was scourged in front of the crowd and He was crucified. Now, you gotta understand that the mindset of the church of that day, the disciples of that day was that Jerusalem was a sacred place. 
Jerusalem was where they felt their destiny was going to be. In their minds, they were going to rule and they were going to reign with Jesus. Jesus was going to overthrow Rome and they were going to sit with Him on that throne, that natural throne, and they are going to rule with Him. That was in their mindset. Even though He had been alluding to the realities of Him being crucified, etc., etc., they still didn't grab it. And it's a lot of times you and I are the same way. Our bias and our preference is blinding us from the truth that God wants to reveal to us. And in that context of great suffering, God is shifting the church. God is moving the people away from mindsets and the frame that they'd inserted and put Jesus in and God in. And He's moving them out of their familiar place into an unfamiliar place. Amen. And so many times stuff happens around about us, but God is all and He's in all. Amen. And He's always the master craftsman that is working to bring to pass the things that are going to help grow us and promote us in the Kingdom of God. Yeah. So we see Mary comes to the tomb. Now, a bit of facts. It's important we understand how important Mary was. The Sabbath is over. Mary goes at the break of dawn back to the tomb. And in fact, when you look at Mary, this Mary was Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out of her. Her name is mentioned 12 times throughout the Gospels, more than most of the Apostles. She was a prostitute. She was with Mary, the mother of Jesus at the cross. She was first to see the resurrected Christ and the first sent one, the first apostolos or apostolic dimension was released in her to go and speak about the resurrected Christ. So that kind of upsets the traditional, you know, women should sit on the front row and probably not lead or, or be appointed. It's not in the intention of God and never has been. Amen. So we pick it up with the angels begin to address Mary in verse number 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And he says, they've she says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put Him. And at this, here's the key word, she turned, Metanea, around and saw Jesus standing there. But, he sa but she said, sorry, but she did not realise it was Jesus. I love the word turn there. It's from that root word metanoia is a form of repentance there. She turned from her position to see. And he asked the woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? You've got to understand in that context, both in Jerusalem, pre-crucifixion, in the midst of the crucifixion and post-crucifixion, they're looking for Jesus. He's not where they expected Him to be. Hello? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, again, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. And Jesus said to Mary, do not hold me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father and to your Father. I love this. It's part of a prophetic picture we see unfolding right now, both in this season and an unfolding season that we're coming to as a church. God is speaking in a different language. God is calling to us and He's wanting us to turn. He's wanting us to disengage from our position, but He is not standing in the form that He has formally stood in to reveal this Jesus, this Christ that we're talking about today. Mary's looking at 
Jesus, but all she sees is the gardener. I love that about Christ. I love that, that He stood and appeared as the gardener, as a tradie, at the tomb, at the place of suffering. She's perplexed. And He says this statement, Mary, don't hold me. So is He giving her the cold shoulder? Is He rejecting her? You see, Mary was conditioned to default to embracing Jesus. She was physical with Jesus. She would hug into Jesus. He was touchable. He was tangible. She was used to relating to the humanity of Jesus. She was conditioned to running to Him, embracing Him. And she defaults like a lot of times we do to the last place we encountered Him or the last revelation we had about Him. And we wanna hold on to that. And He says this to her, you can't hold on to me. And I believe that is a word for us as a church right now. It doesn't mean we throw everything out, with your know, baby out with the bathwater. But I believe the word of the Lord for us today is this. There are certain places you're looking for Him. There are certain lens that you're looking through, certain frames that we've put around Him and He's not there anymore because He's leading us out of the familiar to the unfamiliar so we can become reacquainted with what was once unfamiliar. And that's where growth is kicking in. What he's saying this, in par to paraphrase what he's saying is this, you can't hold on to what you had before in me. Amen. Come on, are we a prophetic people? You can't hold on to what you had before in me. You can't hold my humanity. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not pushing you away but now I'm standing in my omnipresence. I can't be limited to the human Jesus. I can't be limited to the flesh Jesus. Furthermore, he's saying this, I can't be limited <laughs> anymore because I'm present in all forms. What is the omnipresence of God? It's in everything and it is everywhere. So you gotta imagine the mighty shift in her mindset is, but you are Jesus. This is how I've related to you. And he's saying, no, I'm in, now in the gardener. I'm now in all forms. And I believe with all of my heart, we have limited this revelation of Christ. We have limited the revelation that Paul discovered, Paul disclosed, Him. he said, Him we preach. And God is bringing us back. He wants us to preach and unveil the revelation that if we don't have this, we won't understand the Kingdom of God. We will not evangelise effectively if we do not understand who Christ is. And God wants to bring back that revelation. I wanna submit this thought to you. And this is not a put down at the church. I don't hate the church, I love the church. It's, it's, it's the body of Christ, another expression of Christ in the earth, yeah? But know this reality, we have over-localised Christ. We have over-localised Christ. What do I mean by that? The word localise means to limit something to a particular area or space. Are you listening to me today? Yeah. It's to limit Him to the box within the frame of this is the way you will move. This is how you will rock up. This is how you will manifest. And He is about to break those frames, break open those, those pathways, 
pull down the scaffolding. As a church, we have done a good job. I've done a good job over the years of over-localising. I've created worship things for the last 30 years. I've put on citywide worship things. There's nothing wrong with worship. It's good. It needs to continue. But when you want to minimise God, you will, He will come along. He will manifest. We're going to see God move today. What happens when He starts to move, we want to then contain Him and hold Him there. That's called being over-localised. He will manifest this way. He will come again. And what we do is we try and repeat that. And He's saying the whole time, you can't stay in that space too long. Because to over-localise Him, we're restricting who He really is. When we reduce the movement of God to an organised event, we begin to over-localise Him. Amen. Come on, I'm moving towards a missional lens. I'm moving towards something. It's all going to add up in a moment. All right, some of you look at me going like, what the heck? Our perspective of God must exceed the confines of services, feasts, organised events. I'm not saying they're wrong. What I am saying is this, while we are looking for God as we have for 1700 years to manifest within our frames, God is saying, no longer will I be limited and over-localised to fit in that box. Jesus busted open organised Christianity by saying this, the Spirit blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from. You can't even perceive where it comes from. See, I wonder about uncertainty, that mystery aspect of Jesus. Well, we're trying to work out where is God? What's God doing? How's He gonna move? What about if we just erased all that and we started to see Him in a new light in the world. Hello. He says the Spirit blows where it wishes, comes, you don't even know how it gets to manifest and that's the Spirit of God. In fact, He furthermore goes on to say, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. Amen. I believe that God is everywhere. Christ is everywhere and we can't localise Him to one denomination, one movement, one book, one et cetera, et cetera. God is wanting to break that stuff. Mature eyes can see God manifesting in spaces outside of their familiar practices. And this is the lens change that needs to happen now. We need to look beyond familiar spaces to unfamiliar spaces, which I'm gonna touch on in a moment. When we over-localise Christ, we then domesticate Him. When we over-localise Christ, then we domesticate Him. What do I mean by that? When we domesticate Jesus, we're wanting Him to fit within our operation. And sometimes He doesn't wanna fit in that operation the way we want Him to fit in that operation. When we over-domesticate or when we domesticate Christ, we start to domesticate people and they become conditioned to this type of God this type of service, this type of flow. Are you hearing me now? You know, I watched this documentary uh, some years ago about domesticated eagles in the Middle East. And it was interesting to note that they did a study over a period of five years about these eagles that these uh, guys would raise in a domesticated environment, not natural to their normal environment. And they compared the natural same breed of eagle with the domesticated eagle. And they found that the ones that were domesticated, it affected them at a genetic level. 
their eyesight was minimised, their muscular growth was reduced, their ability to fly at certain heights, hunt a certain way was minimised. Why? Because they were domesticated. So their growth patterns, their physiology changed. And I believe it's true for us as the church. When we over-localise Jesus or the Christ and we want Him to fit within the confines of how we feel and perceive He's gonna move, then we start to domesticate Him or we want Him to fit in that box. We want people to begin to fit within that framework. And all over the earth right now, I believe that our understanding of Christ, our understanding of who He is, God is wanting to begin to break open in a whole new way. He's gonna bust out (laughs) and He's gonna begin to reveal a whole new dimension of who He is. He's gonna reframe the frame that we've placed Him in. Colossians chapter one and verse 19 says this. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I looked up that word all and I was surprised when I looked in the Webster that it means all. And then when I looked in the Collins, it meant the same thing, all. And I kind of looked at that and I thought, if you've reconciled all things, whether things on earth or even things in the heavenlies, that changes everything. It changes our evangelism, the way we do it. It changes warfare, it changes prayer, it changes the way we live on this earth. The word reconcile means to bring back something to its former state. It means to return as one with. I love that, eh? To return as one. Everyone say one. It means to cause one thing to cease and another to take its place. Or in other words, an an exchange takes place. He didn't say some things. Notice the language. For He reconciled to Himself all things. So God is not actually in a warfare battle anymore. He's not up there with Michael and the angels trying to sort out the devil. Because the Bible says both things in heaven and the things on the earth are reconciled. They are now subject and one with Him. He didn't say the church, He said everything. Amen? Come on, I want you to grab this. If we can see this, because I know many times we read it with the Christian lens and we think that's talking about just us, but it's talking about all things. And when we see that the magnitude of what, what Jesus, now the Christ, is trying to communicate at the tomb, that you can't hold me because I am all and I'm in all. It revolutionised. It revolutionised the mindset of Mary. Can imagine her running off to the apostles saying, he's not limited to the Jesus we knew, but he is all and he's in all, amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and verse 18. Let's pick it up in 14. It says, Christ's love compels us because one died for all. Here's that word again. And all died. Hang on, is that talking about Christians or everyone? So the death of Christ reconciled all, yeah? And if Jesus died all have died with Him. Wow, that's a brain bender right there. So verse 16 says, From now on we regard no one thing with a worldly point of view. 
all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. I wanna submit this thought to you. Maybe right now, you and I can get a revelation that our ministry shouldn't come under the label of I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle, I'm a pastor, whatever. Maybe through that Scripture, we can identify that we have the ministry of reconciliation. So what does that look like? Maybe we need to remove that lens of the world and us, that dualistic mindset of us and them, heaven and earth, separation. And maybe we need to put away the part and we need to come back to the whole and we need to view the lens that Christ is lowered down into the earth, into the hearts of mankind, which is oneness. Christ has bought the ministry of reconciliation to the church. That is the form of evangelism that I see God unearthing and bringing to the forefront. The gospel of salvation, please don't stone me. The gospel of salvation has reduced Jesus to an evacuation plan. You say this scripted prayer, then you're saved from hell. And if you live in fear, of going to hell and live righteous, you will be raptured out of here. It's an escape plan, you hear me now? And we've reduced it to the point where I lived under that mindset of the gospel of salvation as the ultimate evangelistic tool. And then I reduced God into a tribal God that's kinda not happy with me, kinda not happy and I can't put a foot right wrong, sorry. Otherwise I might miss the rapture, I might miss backslide and go to hell. And I wanna tell you, Christ erased all that. You never once see the apostles ministering and preaching what we would term the gospel of salvation in that manner. In fact, you'll find the language, it's a beautiful language. When you trace Peter and Paul, the way they went out and what we would call evangelise, they were operating out of the ministry of reconciliation through the lens of oneness. When Paul comes to the unknown God in Areopagus or at Mars Hill in Athens, there's a lineup of all these pagan statues. Look at the language of Paul. There's no us and them, but he begins to say, hey, I perceive that you're actually worshipping Him without knowing Him because he's speaking about Christ in them. Uh-oh. Pagans? He's speaking about the DNA of Christ in them already. And then he goes and says this, listen to the language. We, addressing them, are the offspring of God. Not I, we are the offspring of God. Furthermore, he says this through Peter. He says, rise and eat all what was once formerly unclean to you. He goes, not so, three times, not so, not so. What's God, what's God talking about with Peter? We're all the same. All the pagans that Peter, the Jews in Jerusalem, the church of that day would have said, don't touch, don't go near. He's saying they are clean. Christ is actually in them. He came to reveal Christ in me, Paul said. There's a mystery in this that we need to unpack. There's a rethinking that we need to begin to look at. 
And when you follow the language, you follow the revelation. And you see Peter's language change. There's no more. You know, when he starts to contend with the uncircumcised, they come up and say, we heard that you've, you've been fellowshipping with the, the, the um, Gentiles, the pagans. And he's, he's still saying, the language is, I perceive brethren. He's still learning. You see, truth is progressive, yeah? But you see, the whole religious lens wants to separate us from them. So we've got to go out and get them saved. What if you've got to go out there and help them be awakened to their oneness that they have? What if evangelism is this, loving, being love, and as you're doing it, what's in them is being awakened. I do believe that those that don't know Him, our objective is to help them to see Him, awakening what is in them so that they can, they can walk in the fruit of oneness. You hear me now? I'm only touching on the surface, but I just want to introduce you to maybe some different thought. What if everything visible is the outpouring of God? What if everything, trees, fish, cats, dogs, is the outpouring of God? Come on, come on, think about it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and He spoke and created all things, correct? So that means that the DNA of God, you see, we talk about the incarnation of Jesus being one, but Christ was in the beginning. You study the revelation that Paul talks about. He was in the beginning, manifest in creation. Another thing we've inherited is that man fell and was separated from God because of his sin. The Bible didn't say that. It says in John, uh, sorry, Genesis 3.23 that God separated man from the garden. God's never been separated from man. So you think sin separates you, it can't because all died. Oh man, you hear me now? Yeah? He didn't separate himself from man, he separated man from the garden. But he's always been with man. That's the love of God. What if we went out these doors or tomorrow when we go to walk, uh, work and we look at life as the outpouring of God? Yeah? You start seeing mankind as the outpouring of God. You start seeing nature. You start seeing everything around about you as the creative manifestation of what first came from God and is manifest in the earth. Doesn't that change you from trying to create a move of God to actually participating in creation and knowing God's move began on day dot, yeah? So we start to engage in that life. All of creation around us is the habitation of God. All of creation around us is the habitation of God and God is hiding in creation and you've got to have the right lens to see Him. And it removes us and them. It removes that whole, we're trying to get God to move to the reality is He has moved. We are part of the outpouring of God. The pagans, those that back in the day were considered as being unclean, God has moved in them. Now we've got to awaken them to the power of salvation, that they're not saved from, they're saved to. They are sons of God 
and we've got to break open the lens so that they can see themselves as sons and daughters. Paul said, you are the offspring of God. Amen. Let's finalise on this thought. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, I didn't write that. But how are we going to translate that? I'm sure religion can change it in some way. But when I read my Bible, it says, but he's in the barbarian, he's in the Scythian. Now, if you understand the barbarian and the Scythian, they were pagan warriors, they were pagan worshippers. In fact, the Scythians were the lowest illiterate, ugly looking warriors that were on the earth at that time. They were pagan worshippers. But Paul said, but Christ is all and He's in all. You hear me now? Even the barbarians, nomadic warriors, even the Scythian, Christ is all and He's in all. And our role in the love of God is to help awaken people out there to the reality of who they are and their oneness and God's love that has already been shed abroad in their hearts and awaken that to them. And then the belief will come and then they will turn from paganism. They will turn from whatever ism that they're involved in. We're trying to clean up without first revealing the truth of the work of Christ for mankind. Amen. Let me finalise with these thoughts. Christ ends all class, ethnicity, poor, rich, black, white, religious ceremonies, sin, sinner, unholiness, Sunday localization, hell, separation from God. He reconciled all things back into oneness, yeah? There are some of us that say Christ is all yet in some things. Religion. There are some who have laid claim to being the ones who have Christ, but He cannot be limited by religion, time or space. He is all and He's in all. He is the life in all living things. For those who have climbed out of the limited, localised God box, they can see Him in all things. He can be seen in creation. His voice can be heard through creation. He no longer separates sinner and saint. He is in mankind ready to be discovered and revealed. Let's stop waiting for an ultimate move of God and start experiencing God all and in all. The void of something's missing is filled with God is all and is in all. Stop engineering a movement, start being the move of God. And finally, stop trying to reach the summit, the mountaintop, to feel like you're victorious. Start experiencing God in every facet of life. Can you imagine if we have a few hundred people that have that lens and begin to look at those that are involved in, whether, whether it's witchcraft, whether it's uh, whatever form of religion it is, but you can see through the lens of for God so love the world that He gave for the church. Uh, what? That He gave for the... But then we insert a but, but you've got to say this prayer this way. You've got to say this scripted prayer because if not, you're going to go to hell. I want to tell you the work of Christ exceeds that. 
the work of Christ is going to be rediscovered in the earth in a whole fresh new light. God is reframing, readjusting the lens so that we're going to be able to walk out there knowing that it's not old time evangelism. And I thank God for that. Praise the Lord. He can move in any other way. But the reality is there is an army of people that are moving in the earth with a new lens and that lens is Christ and looking for Christ in mankind, looking for Christ in certain contexts that religion will say unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. Start seeing those around you as for God's love. Start seeing those around about you as He's in there. My job is to help resurrect what God did for them and help them see the reality of Christ in them. Amen. So with me, Christ is all and He's in all. Amen. Some of you are going to go home and you're going to get op- open up your, um, uh, your, your Google thing and you're going to look up the word all. Just make sure that it actually means all. It means everything. It means everything. Amen. So God is repositioning us. I thank God for the, the missional context, the missional work that God is uh, resurrecting in the earth, not only through paradox, but out there everywhere. But we're going out with a different modus operandi. We're moving in the earth with that whole Christ lens to see He's in there. Let me help bring you to a place of awareness. You know, I, I work two days a week uh, amongst those that have acute stroke I mean, their lives one minute was going in one direction and they have a stroke and they end up in this rehab hospital. Some of them can't speak. Some of them can't uh, understand. They've been so brain affected, acute brain injuries. But the reality is when I sit with them now, I'm not trying to get them to say a magic prayer. But the reality is I'm identifying Christ in there and I'm calling it out. It's like Egypt. God's intention was... Though you are a slave, I see the son in the slave and I'm calling it out. And that is the way we need to approach the world. That is the way we need to approach those that are broken, no matter what it is. Christ's life is in them already. Don't let religion lie to you and tell you they haven't said the scripted prayer, they're not. The work of Christ cannot be limited and localised to that religious mindset. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Father. Father, we just honour You and bless You right now. I pray for this congregation and ask, Lord, for the eyes of all of our understanding to be enlightened. Lord, we don't want to, uh, you know, lock You into our shoebox. Father, we pray that our hearts would burn, our eyes would see, and that, Lord, that You would begin to cause each one of us to see beyond what we've seen. We would look beyond where we've seen, we would move beyond where we are. Father, I pray right now that You would draw us to a new space, a new place and a new rhythm. You know, in this place, some of you, uh, you know, come in, maybe some of you are visiting, but I kind of feel like, you know, Father just wants to bring back life to some of you, bring back that sense of life that you don't, exist by luck or chance, but by design, that God's love destined you to come forth at this time, for this hour. And I was wondering if we just take two minutes to pray with 
the people nearest to us right now, ask them, how would you like me to pray? And let there just come an opening. Let there just come an opening in hearts and minds. Let's just join together and say, hey, dude, can I pray for you? How would you like me to pray for you? Or what would you like me to pray? Let's just do that.